Ansel Saunders is a god in the Bahamas. At a very young age, he saw that people treated him differently because of the color of his skin. Even though he was the best bonefish guide in Bimini, he couldn't eat in many restaurants. He fought for change like the great Dr. Martin Luther King. King formatted his I Have a Dream speech while on Saunders's boat. Both men in different countries led the charge to eliminate segregation. Ansel Saunders is the greatest inspirational hero we've had on this podcast. How can you not love this one? We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double-lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Suap? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. (laughs) There's something fishy going on here. Ansel, you know, we have had Hall of Famers, icons, very famous people on our podcast and in, our, in my home, mm-hmm. but we've never had a real hero like you. <laughs> and I would just like to say welcome. That's good to know that I could be here. Well, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's not easy for you to travel. What you're 90 years old here soon, right? Yeah, I'm 90 now, the big 90. How are you doing with that age? Very good, I feel well, and uh, I was never sickly in all my life. I always prayed for long life, but with good health. There's no use of being old if you, you, you're sickly, right? Yeah. And you've always been pretty healthy. Oh, yes. Do you think that has a lot to do with uh, growing up on the ocean and feeling that ocean breeze and the clean air? I think so. I think that's a lot to do with it because uh, you don't get the smog and everything come off the water, you know, fresh. And and that, 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 that does something to you. You're living and you're... The type of life you live, you know, the freshness of the seawater all the time. Wake up at very early in the morning, see that great sunrise, and feel that fresh air, you'll never forget it. You're alive when you see that sun rising. Oh, yes. Especially on the ocean. Um, I think a couple of things really stand out, uh-huh. um, and we'll talk about one and then we'll go to the other. Um, your 16-pound bonefish that uh, became a world record 51 years ago. Wow. You know? That's I mean, right. I, I mean, what do you remember about that fish? Oh, 1971. Oh, this fellow by the name of Jerry Lovenstein, he was a regular uh, 
own fishermen that came came to Bimini about five times a year. And this particular time that he came to Bimini, he came to catch the world record bonefish. He said, uh, Ansel, you know, I just bought into this reel and rod company. And he showed me the reel and rod. What, what, what was that company? Yeah. Uh, Do you remember? I, I, no, I don't believe he ever got it off the ground. He died, to, he died so shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he said, I, I bought into this reel and rod company. And I have to catch the world record bonefish on it to make it famous. Huh. I said, Jerry, don't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> not that easy, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, you not, can't not, buy a world record. Oh, not because you bought into a real company. You can just come down there and catch the world record on it. Uh, your first trip with it down here. He said, you will see. We left the dog cut. 11 o'clock, and six minutes after 11, we had on a world record bonefish. Oh. Could you believe that? The bonefish run, it was a ladyfish, because it had big rows in to it. That bonefish, he made the best, he made the best cast of his life. It was three bonefish, and I pointed out to him, and he threw just right. And the smallest of the three took the bait. Wow. And, you know, the smallest of the three turned out to be the world record. 16-pound fish, fish. Yeah. yeah. And that fish run off. We had 230 yards of line on that spool. And that fish run, run it off to the knot. One more kicker would have carried the whole thing. Wow. But it didn't know that. Was that a fly fish caught fish? It was not a fly fish. It, it, was, a, uh, it, was, a, it was a shrimp, all, it was shrimp, t- shrimp fish. 16, what was it, 12 pound test? Uh, eight. 12 or eight, yeah. No, eight, eight pound test. Eight pound eight test. Pound test well, wow, 16 yeah. pound fish. So it run off the uh, spool right to the knot, 230 yards of line. One more kick, it would have carried the whole thing, but it didn't know that. It turned back and it started back towards the boat. Allowing us uh, time to get some some uh, line back onto the reel. Were you motoring at this point, or were you pulling your boat pulling as fast as you boat. can? No, I won't be motoring at that point. And most of the time, it's real shallow. It's real shallow. Yep. Yeah, mostly you can't can't motor really. You're pulling as fast as you could, and he screamed that off the whole thing. Uh, the knot came up. Bonefish Sam, who was a very famous bonefish fisherman, he started the whole thing off the stocking bonefish. Everybody used to anchor and chum up. Bonefish uh, Sam really brought in the stocking and, and made it famous. And especially with the fly rod, right? Oh, yeah. Didn't he teach you about the fly fishing? Yeah, he did. He, teach, he taught me about all the fishing, he really. He was not only a good fly. Uh, uh, shallow water fisherman. He was good in deep waters too. He would catch more red snapper than the other other fellows around him, and and things like that. So I I came underneath his 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 teaching and his expertise. We used to go when we don't have any uh, guests to carry out. 
We used to go to the loon and experiment on some new things, you know. And he ended up uh, having a barge like 16 feet long, 8 feet wide. And he put a tuna towel on top of that. But it took two people, two guides, to really pull that along. One fellow by the name of, of Brayman used to come to Bimini from Texas. He was an oil man, and uh, he used Bonefish Sam and myself on the same boat to carry him out. He was a very good caster, and uh, we could catch any amount of bonefish we wanted in a day with him. He hardly ever missed on a bonefish. Wow. He was that good. Mm-hmm. But he had the two best guys in the world anyway. <laughs> right. That sure helps. So let's go back to the bonefish. I'm really curious. You took all the all the line. You're pulling your boat as fast as you can. What what, what took place after that? Uh, the fish run off uh, to the end. And fortunately, he run by where bonefish Sam was into the mangroves. And he spotted the fish uh, size. And he yelled at all, big fish, big fish. And when he called it a big fish, he knows about big fish because he held world records before that, you know. And uh, him being close to mangrove caused us to catch that fish because the fish headed directly into the mangroves. But bonefish is between the fish and and, uh, and the mangroves. So he, he made a little bit of noise, I guess. And the fish finally turned back or come back toward me on to the boat. Right. That so lucky. That enabled us to get some line back on and uh and enable us to to stop him from going to the mangroves by the bones of some being present. We got an all that line up about twenty yards and when that fish saw the boat, it repeated the performance. Another 200 yard run. <laughs> and uh, finally, they turned back towards the boat. The key to it in catching a bonefish like that is keeping the rod high as you could. You cannot have it down this way. You gotta have it over your head so the line don't drag over the bottom and cut off. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to know how to do that. That's the, that's the key to it. We got that fish into, uh, when we did jaffin, well, that uh, is netting, netting the fish. And now uh, when you get that fish that net a boat, that ain't the, the, the end of it. That fish is gonna cycle around that boat and cycle around and try the tricks underneath that to run underneath the prop or the, or the outboard. You have to watch all those things. So sure. therefore, you have to be uh, re- very light to run in the boat and jump on one seat to the next. Right. Because he'll cut you, he'll break you off while he's near the boat. Everything has to go right to catch the world record bone fish. Did you know it was a record when you netted that fish? Uh, when we netted the fish, I know he was big. She, of course. It had a rose in it. And uh, uh, yeah, we could tell that, that that fish 
was in the record class. Right. So I put my hand underneath the net. I didn't want him to slip to the net. Sure. And uh, when I took him out, I don't know why we always call him him, but it was, it was a lady fishing. Right. <laughs> the female with a lot of, <laughs> lot of eggs in her. <laughs> <laughs> the fish was pounding like a human. I almost got sorry for the bone fish. It was a, like that, you know, it was so tired. The, right. the, the, the fight was so long. One full hour that took to get him with a good fishing guide, a good fisherman. One hour. One full hour. And when we got him in, we knew that we had something real close to world record. So I run the boat in close to the shore up in the Bailey Town area hoist the flag or handkerchief on a rod and uh, put it inside the boat gone well. Signifying the people that we have something very special. So I came down very, very slowly along from Poggy Bay, which is Bailey Town, in towards Alice Town. So when I got down by the uh, Big Game Fishing Club, people was already gathering. They know I had something special because I don't fly flags like that, you know. When we got there, the fish went to weigh him off, 16 pounds, 3 ounces. But the big game club was not the official weighing station at the time. Uh, Wishes Dock was the official. They changed his official docks on, you know, yearly basis. So we had to carry him back down to Wishes Dock and he pulled the scale the same thing, 16 pounds, 3 ounces. The, the world record bone fish was then 15 pounds, caught by Sam Sneed, the uh, golfer. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was fishing with uh, Willie Duncan, uh, Reverend Duncan, that is, who was a great guide himself. And if you will notice the, uh, the pictures that we took uh, with the bone fish weighing world record numbers. If you notice the pictures, Bonefish Willie is also in those pictures. We could not get him out of the pictures. <laughs> Everywhere we took a picture, he was there. <laughs> he wanted to be a part of that new world record. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, that was funny. Um, uh, I, I want to talk about your childhood when you first started getting into bone fishing at some point, but was that, did you have a lot of big bonefish in the early 70s? Um, I mean, was this was were these three fish that you came across? Were they just like an anomaly, like like so sp- different than all the other normal fish? Did you have a lot of big twelve pounds and thirteen pound fish? We had quite a bit in the winter time. Now in the, the summertime, they're more numerous. Right, you get plenty of bone fish, but they're smaller. In the winter times, you get the the big, ones. the big ones with the singles and doubles and and the triples. Bonefish, uh, large ones, run very few in the school. A real big one might just be alone. Right, right. So that's the way they, they operate. Uh, I guess the, the small bonefish make too many mistakes for them. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't get it together. I find it, 
I find it interesting where in the Keys, we had a lot of really big bonefish yeah. throughout the um, the early or the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And then 2010, we had a big freeze. But before that, we used to have a lot of 12, 13, 14, 15 pound bonefish. Yeah. All these tournaments were catching yeah. big fish. And then that freeze came and we lost them all. Did you see any difference in the Bahamas with the 2010 freeze? Did you lose fish over there as well? Uh, Do you remember? I I know that uh, the big fish would come in on January, February, and March. Uh, April also, because we we, we, uh, caught a lot of big bone fish in April. May you catch a lot of fish, right? But not a big, not, not the, the big, big ones. ones. Yeah, yeah. they're gone. And Dad, that was only twelve years ago, so he might have been, you know, not guiding at the time as well. No, I understand, but yeah, you, you hear what's being caught. Sure, you know, you're you're a fisherman. Um, do you remember the first time you ever saw a bonefish, and the first one you ever caught? Uh we we used to catch bonefish with your dad and stuff like that. Uh, with your dad, yeah. When it was small, they used to anchor and chum up. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of bonefish there. Yeah. yeah. A lot of bonefish. The bonefish got thin out when they were famous for marlin fishing with a bonefish. Right, for they were yeah. using bonefish for bait. For bait, you know. Right. A bonefish has so much bones, they can hold together Better. for more than one day of trolling. Right. Other fishes boys up and you got to change them from trolling every couple of hours. A bonefish could troll for two days right. and still be in good foam condition. So they were netting the bonefish for bait? They were netting the bonefish to bait, because especially in some of those tournaments, the bonefish, would, they would pay as much as $10 a piece for bait. So you lost a lot of your fish to tournaments? Yeah, I lost a lot. i seen some of the some of the bonefish guides went to the net. I, I, you know, I don't understand that yet, but some of the bonefish guys was netting fish for, for the tournaments. Ten dollars a piece, you know, they carry ten down there, it's a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's good money. Yeah. 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 Was yeah. anyone eating the bonefish at the time? Oh, the big ones? Everybody is speaking for a bonefish. Please bring me one to eat. They're very tasty, but they have a lot of bones. Sure. Bones through through them seems as if they ain't holding on to nothing. It's just straight through the meat, right. especially down to that tail part. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you guys still eat bonefish over there, or is everybody catching, releasing them? Well, we, we release, but uh, you, you always have an order, please bring me a big bonefish to eat. They're still, yeah, they're, yeah, they're a delicacy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially the women. And how do, how do you, just out of curiosity, how do you cook those bonefish? Because there's so many bones. Well, they they split them all open from the back and lay them open, and you do make one or two scotches lengthwise, not across, lengthwise the fish. Right. So you can put in your orders before you bake him. You just put, you know, it take about twenty minutes to bake him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. To bake him. Interesting. I, I remember I was in Venezuela one time. We were fishing in. in um, they had this spread, and all and every teaser bait on the spread were bonefish in Venezuela. 
Yeah. That's when I first saw it. I'm sure BTT would like this talk. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's, a, it's a fact. I mean, we're talking, no, I about, we're talking about what people I'm do joking. in the world, you I'm know? I'm joking. But... Al um, Slogan told me one time that how he used to bake a bonefish, he spread him down open on the back, of course. But you don't, you don't put those scotches straight down to break it off from the backbone. All of those small bones are holding on to the backbone. So when he finished baking the fish, he turns the, the, the baker up to five or 600 degrees. And he said what would happen is the, the bones would rise up and that different hot degrees mm -hmm. hit them. And he knew how to way of pulling and all the bones are stuck onto the to the backbone. He has a way of just with pulling out all of the bones on one shot. Oh wow. Do you, do you still eat bonefish? When was the last bonefish you ate? <laughs> Come on, you gotta be honest with me. Last no, week. no, 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 no. <laughs> long time ago. Oh. I I had yeah, well used to eat it myself. I had to bring right. them in for other people. Right. But barracuda is a real big delicacy too, right? Yeah, except for one killed my daddy by eating the poison bonefish. You, oh, did your, your, dad, dad, your dad, died dad died by eating the cigatera. poison bonefish over here in, in the Miami hospital. Oh, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It, uh, when you, when you uh, have a poison bonefish, the things would go wrong with you. You have the scratchings. You will scratch yourself. If he's really poison, you'll scratch yourself into to, 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 to bleeding. That's how, how, how much it itches. Mm. Mm. So uh, you don't want to really get poison with a bonefish because... Or anything, really. The, 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 the uh, consequences. They give you gripe and... Right. And the saws break along and a real bad one. No, all don't be bad. Some some people that get poison from a bonefish. I know of a couple of fellas that that's was around Andres mostly. Get poisoned with bonefish, go to the hospital and tell the tell the their family, don't throw away the rest of that bonefish or the pot. I gotta eat the rest of that when I get well and come back. Oh, God. oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> that's my how, God. That's how much they love a bonefish. Wow, that's crazy. It's yeah. like escargot or yeah. some sort of caviar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, your your life, once you became a fly fisherman, did you remain a fly fishing guide only? No. You did both? Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you venture offshore at all? No. Never went to offshore. Just a bonefish guy. Just guide. a bonefish guy. Why is it that many bonefish guides in the Bahamas have their name attached to bonefish? Bonefish so, Sam. Bonefish Sam. Bonefish Tommy. Everybody's yeah. uh, well, I, I I wasn't a bonefish Ansel. I was just Ansel. You were you know, <laughs> you were legendary bonefisher. <laughs> um but Bonefish, obviously, are really very important to everybody over there. It's a it's a real mainstay, not only in making money, but for for so long, I've seen videos where villages would go out and net hundreds of bonefish to eat. Yeah, and they can't eat them all, so they would dispose of them all. Of them all. 
But now I think for the most part, a lot of theirs uh, in the Bahamas is protected, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's protected. They were supposed to be protected a long time before the stop uh, catching them to eat. Yeah, that was that, that was always protected, but the, the the rules was not carried out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? I have a question for you, Enzo. Was it prestigious? Was there a lot of pride um, with the name Captain? You know, if you were a guide and you were Captain Ansel, was was there was that prestigious? It is prestigious. Yeah, if you're the bonefish guide, uh, like 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 we said a while ago, you becomes bonefish Sam, bonefish Willie, and things like that. You become that's all, that's all about an honor. And it was an honor in the community. Yeah, I, I, you know, Nikki, I think that from what he's saying, the term captain was overseeded by the term bonefish, bonefish Anzel, bonefish yeah. Willie, yeah. bonefish Sam, and, and not Captain Sam. It was bonefish Sam. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's right. Interesting. Very um, interesting. So just, you're you're Tarpon Andy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that, Nikki. We'll go with that, El Carpo. <laughs> When I first started the bonefish, uh, you know, all the sharks around now to get them, you could hardly hook a bonefish without a shark chasing him. Now, a shark chasing a bonefish, he cannot catch him alone, one-on-one. -on -one. Right. They would have to hurt him. They would come, you have to have with four, five, six sharks, and one come from each direction and get him in the middle, and they hurry around him like that, then up, they'll get him. Up into a shallow area? Up in the shallow area. But one-on-one, -on -one, you won't catch him now. Some of the sharks there now, it seems as if uh, the shark is at every bonefish hook. It's almost so sad. shark or sharks. Right. Yeah. We see that over here in Florida also. That's a, that's a topic everyone has been talking about. Everyone we've had on the podcast talks about the shark problem. Yeah. Everywhere. And we, when I first started fishing, there was no shark problem at all. Hmm. For my first uh, 15 years of bone fishing, never had a shark come out of bone fish. But were, was, was were it, they killing sharks back when you were younger? Is that why there were not so many? No. Like I know here in the States and in Florida, there was a lot of longliners, and the longliners actually caught a lot of these sharks. Oh, so I there see. were not so many. No. So in the Bahamas, I was just wondering if there were long lining over there. No. You just didn't have as many sharks. You didn't have them coming on the flats. Yeah. But they do now, like, you know, they kind of will come, come off to every bone fish you hook. Right. So you have to fight off sharks. It's, it's, it's so sad because I was speaking to one of the big guides in Key West last week. He was saying 50% of the fish he hooks 50. are killed. 50% are killed to the sharks. Oh. We don't have it that bad. Yeah, it's bad. But I had uh, some encounters with uh, not only the lemon shark, which is the one they're talking about mostly, right. but with the, with the tiger shark. I had some uh, encounters on the flats with tigers. Wow. Now, a tiger shark, would uh, he would attack your boat on certain, certain times. Has your boat ever been bitten by a tiger shark? Yeah. Not only that, they're taking the props sometime. Uh, install the engine, I don't know if you don't watch it. 
But I remember one time when I was catching one of the real big ones. He came in and uh, he grabbed the prop and stole the engine out. Wow. And I figured out, uh, and almost drug the engine off the stern. My stern came off from the stern post about two inches. So if he didn't, he wasn't successful in getting the motor the first time, he comes back and grabbed the prop again. And he ain't gonna stall it out this time because when he grabbed the prop, I'm gonna put it wide open in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll have, he'll have his white cut out for him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's such an amazing life that, that you've led because you were also a big boat builder. Your family had been in the business for five generations. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that because I think you, as I read, you started building boats when you were 15 years old. Yeah. My alone, the first one alone, I was 15 years old, but. How'd you know how to do it? My, all of my family was boat builders. My dad, my uncle, and I came up in the work yard where they used to build boats. So you helped them? I had to help them, and that's how come I uh, was able to build one from such young age, because I help them from young age. Sure. But uh, mainly the Saunders family was all boat builders and carpenters. And they built not only bonefish skiff, but they also built big boats that was freight boats. Go to go to the United States and bring back big, big, big numbers of freight. Uh, at least once a week, they depended on that. Is Tyrone a boat builder now? Sorry to say no, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tyrone, what are you doing, <laughs> Tyrone? He's your driver. He, he, He's your driver this week. He he, he came up in uh, a time when uh, you, you, you live away from from Bimini mostly. Right. In Nassau, he was born in Nassau and grew up in in the United States. So was part of it. Right. Now your five generations that were all boat builders were they all on on in the Bahamas or were they building boats elsewhere? Uh, in the Bahamas, but on different islands. Right. Yeah. Uh, not only Bimney one, but uh, Inagua and, and Saunders is all over the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. So they built, they built a lot of sailing boats. My building of boats is for, for outboard engines. Right. But uh, they, my my dad could have built anything, uh, anything, right? Big boats that are close to hundred feet long, you know. Right. Because it's 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 not not that he couldn't build them bigger, but we didn't have this the the ways and the and the place to build them that you could have move them after move you built them. Off them. You build them. Sure. Yeah. Now, are you? That was a big thing too. When you launch in one of those boats, the whole island turned out, and you have a lot of drinks and eats. You know, <laughs> the party a celebration. And, and, yeah, so sometimes it take two days to to launch a boat, depending on where she was. Right. Wow. Yeah. So that that was a great thing in Bimini, that to be able to launch a boat with all the 
the reception they used to have. It's just a great time. Oh, that's awesome. They need to be singing these songs, you know. You couldn't push the boat unless you get the certain part of the song. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, that's when they push, you know. They have the rollers underneath there. So they would sing when they get to yeah. a certain part of the yeah. song. That's when they push, push harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like I said, it takes two days sometimes. Yeah. It's great fun. What was the drink of choice? The drinking? The drink. What would you? What was the drink of choice during these they, parties? They, they used to make a lot of what they call a rum sour. Uh-huh. It was a type of rum with apple, cut up in it, and not just the raw rum. It's what they call rum sour. Interesting. Yeah. And so said, it was rum and apple. Apple is one of the ingredients in it. Gotcha. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, you know, rum is synonymous with, with the yeah. Bahamas. With, with yeah. It's an island drink. The Caribbean. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, did you like building boats better than fishing, or did you like bone fishing better than building boats? Ain't nothing better than bone fishing. <laughs> boats building is, you know, it takes a while to build a boat. Sure. I could build a bone fish skiff in three, three to four months, but uh, I didn't. I didn't build a boat uh, only. I built boats on the side when it comes from bone fishing. Right. You know, I did. I, I took a long time to build a boat because uh, I only built 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 in spare time on that boat. Bone fishing was was trump, you know. Yeah. Did you have any interest in permit fishing or tarpon fishing? Or was it just bonefish? Were you just a bonefish freak? No, it was a little tarpon fishing. But the tarpon was not great around there like like there is in Florida. Sure. Yeah. So uh, we we did very little tarpon fishing there. Would you ever see permit on the flats? Permits. Permit was number two. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Was it good? Was... We, 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 we'd go permit fishing and... Uh, they follow the race, you know. I guess they do the same thing over here. Follow the race, sting race. Dig sure. up, dig up this, the mud and bring up, dig up crabs and bone, crabs and uh, shrimp. They'd be there to get some of them. And you didn't eat those, did you? Yeah. Huh? You didn't eat those, did you? <laughs> Permit? Oh, he's a, he's a great bake. <laughs> <laughs> he's <was> great. <laughs> yeah, time it is. He's a good eating fish. It's really good. The matter of fact, um, my very first fish, we were over there and we were surrounded by sharks. We put it in the in the live well and to run it off the flat and elsewhere. And by the time we got there, the fish perished. You know, so the yeah. first permit I ever caught on fly, we ended up eating it like a twelve pound fish. And as you said, it was unbelievable. But don't yeah. don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, appointment is is a different fish in deeper water than shallow water. Shallow water is as touchy as a bonefish. In deep water, uh, you fish for them like how you fish for snapper. That is on Vimney side. But uh, they, they, they are not, are not plentiful like the bonefish. You might see one today or you might see 20 today. Right. And then don't see don't see any at all tomorrow. Yeah, not as consistent. I think that's yeah. pretty much 
all over. Except unless you go to certain areas, like in Belize, yeah. that's all you see, you know, certain yeah. flats. Um, have you fished these newer bonefish boats? Or do you, or you stay, you've only fished with the wooden boats. You stay on your wooden boat. Have you fished? I, I stay on wooden boats only. Have you ever fished the newer carbon fiber boats, lighter? Uh, no, I did do the, the plywood boat all, all the time. Yeah. Because I build my, my, my boat special anyway. Right. If I build a boat for you, it won't have the, it won't have the time put into it. Right. Yeah, that I would do one for myself because I use her to uh, to promote sure. the, the boat building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember in the Keys, when I first started going down there, there was a bunch of um, wooden boats. And then the newer, sophisticated boats started yeah. to come into play. They were yeah. lighter and faster and skinnier yeah. in the water, so everybody started moving yeah. to the newer, uh, but, lighter boats. Well, but the wood the wood boats is quieter, right. all into the water. The the, the waves the waves don't slap as hard. Right. It muffle it muffle the sound. That's the difference between a, a glass boat and a wood boat. Yeah. Right. It's like a right. wooden drift boat yeah. in the west for yeah. sure. Um, you're talking about you know we're going to move on to some of the the famous people that you. Um, that really touched your life, and your life changed the other Bahamian people there. Um, the, uh, the Bimini Big Game Club, Hemingway was over there a lot. Did you ever meet Hemingway? Uh, I met him when I was young. Right. Because he, he lived next door to where he was living, over in uh, Michael Lerner Yard. Michael Lerner is a very famous fisherman. Right, Michael Lerner, he was- uh, Started the IGFA? IGFA, yeah. Yeah. And he uh, started a museum there, Learner Marine Lab, is what it's called. Right. Yeah, he was famous for that. And uh, he was a great fisherman himself. He he really rode a toner in 10, 15 yes, he minutes. Did. Yeah. Yeah, he went around the world catching swordfish and marlin and yeah. setting world records. And like Nikki said, he started the IGFA. Uh, but I think Bimini in that area was very famous for the big bluefin tuna that came up in the shallow water. Did you ever fish for those tuna? I never fish, but they did come up in the shallow water sometime because it seems as if they used to get lost. They could they used to make a, a cycle around the world a year. Sure. And they come through Bimini on May, all the May, just a little piece of uh, April sometime. And then June, up to for June fifteenth, and when you see June coming up, those tunnel piles red like uh, sometimes it seems it seems as if you could walk from Bimini to Miami on tunnel when it's getting late. No kidding. Yeah, but you never fish for them. You just see I never them? fish. I just watch the other people fish here. Yeah. Yeah. But I see them sometimes. They used to come in the shallow water too. That's a sight too. Mm -hmm. Especially if you are. Uh, have enough motor, have enough uh, water to right. run your motor, run them down, you know, and see them skidding all over the flats <laughs> like that. It's it's very exciting. So you would see five hundred pound tuna in seven eight feet of water. Yeah, but over white yeah, sand. Yeah, what I was talking down in three four four or five feet of water. 
No way. Yeah. They come to the harbor. They miss the touring. The harbor comes up like that. Outside, in the harbor, and inside, inside of the, the slots. So sometimes they make, they won't, they won't hit the outside. They come through the harbor mode and come on the inside. So they made a mistake. Made a big mistake because that outside, that inside, it's got an end up, 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 up to the northern end. You cannot get back out. You let it come back, go back through the way you came in. It was a dead end, so you had to turn around. Yes, it's yeah. a dead end. So what you do is take your boat and run them crazy. Because <laughs> Would you harpoon them? I won't, no, I won't never harpoon them, but uh, some, some, some of the people harpoon. They, they, they harpoon in, right. tunas in the harbor. Good eating, boy. Yeah, really good eating. Yeah. Wow, can you imagine? No, can't. <laughs> no. It's like the the Indian and cowboy days where you're running down the buffalo, you yeah, know, and yeah. spearing them. Um, the, I, I want to talk about some of the famous people you fished with. You know, maybe Nixon. Start with Nixon. I can't imagine President Nixon being a fisherman. No, he wasn't a real fisherman. But he did go in the boats, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, you just take him for a boat ride? Yeah, I, I didn't show him, show him everything. I didn't. I know, I never go to bone fish with him. Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think when I, when I made mention that you're a hero, you're a legendary bonefish man, but you're a he, a hero to the Bahamas in, in stopping segregation. And I want to talk about the Bimini Big Game Club because it's very famous what you did there. Yeah. And I want to start with, when did you first notice that people treated you differently because of the color of your skin? Do you remember that? When I noticed it? Uh, I guess I noticed it with the big game fishing club was the first one. But I did some sit-ins over here in, in the United States. I used to bring some boys over to Willie Mays. Uh, baseball tournaments and uh, one particular night we came from the game and it's almost 12 o'clock and nowhere else to go to get something to eat. And I went there to uh, the little burger's place, what's called, it was not, uh... anyway, we went there to get something to eat and we said, I went and sit on a two, on one of the stools, and the fellow said, "Don't sit there." So I said, "I don't. I can move to the next one seat. I don't see no water in, in the seats." So I went to sit on the next. He said, "Don't sit there either." So I could see you all these troublemakers. So he went and called the police, and the police said. Uh, What's going on in here? Asked me that. I said, I don't know what's going on. All I came and asked for a dozen hamburgers to go. And they went and get you all. I don't know what they got you for. <laughs> but then he caught my accent. That I wasn't, didn't have an American accent. Like the other black people have, you see? Right. So he said, uh, Go ahead and serve them because they don't know no better. They're from Nassau. 
everybody who was Bahamian or from Nassau, I don't care which island you was from. <laughs> <laughs> they never say you was from Bimini, you know. <laughs> they don't know no how, how, old, how old were you then? I was uh, early, early 20s. Okay. On 30s. So you know? that's the first time you noticed that, but not in, the, not in the Bahamas before then. But you know, Bahamas are pretty bad. On Bay Street, they, they blocked, could not uh, own, a, own a piece of property on Bay Street in Nassau, and they couldn't sit, sit to, the, uh, to the restaurants that was on Bay Street in Nassau. So it was very early, we, we had segregation there. But uh, what was very, very, very lonesome was that I went to the big game fishing club for 41 days in a row without being served, trying to prove a point I couldn't get the other boys to risk they, 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 they doing that. So I had to do it alone. And I went for 41 days back to fishing in the afternoon without having, without having lunch because I sat there from 12 to 1 and had to go back fishing and nobody came to serve me. And even the, uh, even some of the white ones with the waiters and waitresses, even they were, they, were, they were not on my side. They said his, he'll, his mouth would drop off before we get, before we serve him. His what would drop off? His mouth. Um. Yeah. They're not going to save you. Right. So I did that for 40, 40 days is a long time. And then what happened? Then I, they had some uh, dignitaries come from Nassau. Part owner of the big game club one of them was. So uh, I said, well, we're not going to go with Martin Luther King methods tonight. We can use Malcolm X <laughs> methods where you don't get sued. And that message went around to all the people at the big game club. And we are coming there. And uh, I don't know if this, we would be able to carry the things I had in mind to do. So if they don't serve us, we'll break the place up. Now that only was talk, but that wasn't gonna happen. <laughs> So they heard that, that we was going to be there tonight. I told all the boys to wear a jacket. Don't let that be the, the reason why they could not, not serve you. So you want Because there was a dress code, so everybody had to have jackets yeah, on. Yeah, okay. Make sure to do yeah. that. And we went in there, and uh, they served us like kings and queens. Uh -huh. <laughs> and from that point on, from it was open. From that point on, you could, could, that was broken. You could go and sit anywhere. You must have been, you must have really been celebrated at that point because it was you. Yeah. It was you that broke this whole segregation thing with the yeah. Bimini Big Game Club. Yeah. Did did that did that openness spread throughout Bimini at that point? Oh or was yeah, it, yeah. So everybody started to accept. Yeah, they, they, they was they was almost frightened for me because the police was not on your side. You know. You you disturbing whatever, so you had nobody on your side. 
Except for your friends. Yeah, you know, you know, and they, was, they, they stayed a distance. <laughs> they were scared. <laughs> yeah. What would have happened if they wouldn't have served you in your 41st uh, luncheon at the Big Game Club? Were you prepared to? We was prepared. Uh, the night we break, that all the boys put on jacket, and I tell them what what we could do if it didn't happen. The the, the uh, manager told them all everybody to serve us. They don't want a disturbance because they have dignitaries down here from Nassau, and and they don't want those kind of disturbance. But after we break the neck of that thing, and I wanted something to eat half the time, we, we went into the captain's quarters. Yeah, we had the captain's quarters there. When, when uh, that's what they call it. That was the segregation part of it. Because that was aim against the blacks. But after we break the neck of that, we wasn't too happy sitting in the back you know, with, 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 with the guests itself. We stopped going in there with the guests because uh, we only wanted to know that we had equal rights to be able to sit in there. Mm-hmm. We wasn't interested in have to sit in there. Right. You just wanted to know that it was going to be okay if you wanted yes. to go. Yeah. When did you first think of the, uh, I wanted to level the playing field? Is that about that time? Yes, it was during that time. Yeah. Um, you went in there, but how many years did it take you to feel really uncomfortable and bad? And, and Because all of a sudden, you just don't all of a sudden overnight walk in and say, okay, I want to be served. Yeah. How long were you thinking about this? How long did it bother you? Uh, it bothered me for a long time. Now, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., came there to write the Nobel Prize acceptance speech. And he wanted someplace real tranquil to do this writing. So they, they, they engaged me to carry him someplace real tranquil. Was this after you, you, you made this big move at the big game club? Is this after you guys got accepted in there that Martin Luther, Martin Luther King came Yeah, this, this, this was after. After, okay. Yeah. So... Uh, Carried King out there, and and he made remarks of how great out there was. He said, "So and so, it's so peaceful out here. I could see God in everything out here. The mangroves, the fishes running under the mangrove roots, boys overhead, tide trickling by. So 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 great out here." Said, I feel as though I could almost reach out and touch the face of God, as he said up there. I have a statue of Dr. King out there now in the mangroves, a bronze bus, mm-hmm. where I take people to say the psalm, PSALM, that everybody loved to hear. I take them on a daily basis, so I get somebody actually one of the other bonefish guys to take us because I don't only go in my boat anymore. Sure. Yeah. So you wrote that poem and you, 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 you sang that poem or you, you, you gave Martin Luther, you told Martin Luther King that poem that you yeah. have written. Can you give that to us now? Well, it's, 
It's called the Psalm, P-S-A-L-M. Right. It is. I use it at the, uh, the 151st Psalm. There's 150 Psalms in the Bible, and I call it the 151st Psalm. And it allows you to see God in a different light, his handwork, his creation. And it goes, just look around you and see God in everything. His name of love is written on every tiny raindrop. His name of wonder crowns the mountain peak, swirls across the seas. For who else but God? I am that I am. Who else but God in his infinite wisdom could stretch rivers like silver ribbons across the continent or lay green blankets of grass? across the rolling hills or fill the darkest, the darkest recess of the oceans with life. Millions and billions and trillions of life. Only God could conceive the enormous sundowns that walled the horizon in awesome majesty. Only God could create the morning sunrise that burst the horizon in a blaze of glory. Some mornings that gray and gold sunrise is so beautiful that one cannot tell where the heaven ends or the earth begins. Only God could create a moon, a moon which represents equality because it equalizes the waters of the earth. Only God can pierce the skies with stars millions and billions and trillions of stars, stars that have the beauty of a blue sapphire, but sparkles with the radiance of a flawless diamond that we might look into his heavens. And this world God has made as a holy place. It is his own cathedral, filled with birds singing anthems of praise, graced with the rituals of the changing seasons, it's a place of reverence where man can worship freely under the blue dome of the skies and join the host, the host of living things that reach for God. Every living thing reaches for God. The smallest green grass, the tallest redwood, they are all reaching for God. God's world is so full of wisdom and knowledge we could find sermons and stones. Sermons and stones. There are pathways that leads away from self, but close, close to the heart of God, close to the heart of God. The wild beast can teach us nobility and courage. The wild beast, we can learn humility from the violets, steadfastness from a star. And as he direct, the smallest little hummingbird, more radiant than the golden fleece, so can he govern our lives so that even in this shadowed valley we will find no evil, for thou art with me, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for I am Alpha and Omega, but I have no beginning and I have no end. No beginning and no end, saith the Lord, I am. I am from generation to generation to generation. 
I have no equal. I have no equal, saith the Lord, I have no equal. I am from everlasting to everlasting. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all, not some, but all. All of the cattle on the ten thousand hills are all mine, saith the Lord, because I made them all. I made them all, saith the Lord. Out of the deep I call the dry land. I spoke the word, let there be light, and the darkness disappeared. And there was light, and evening the morning was the first day. Man I made from the dust of the earth, woman I made from man. But the universe, the universe I made from nothing, from zero I made the universe. With God nothing is impossible. When God created the universe from nothing, he destroyed the impossible, destroyed the impossible. God is the greatest, God is the greatest, God is the greatest. His greatness cannot be fathomed, cannot be fathomed. 414 years before the Son of God was born, the prophet Isaiah looked down through the centuries and he raised the question, Isaiah 63 and 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? And 744 years later, at the river Jordan, a voice from heaven replied, God himself gave the answer, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is my Son's name. Yahweh Jehovah is my name. So be still and know that I am God. Therefore thou shalt have no other gods before me, saith the Lord. So whenever you doubt the existence of God, look around you, touch your brother, kiss your sister, and then behold, you must behold the wonderful works of God, the wonderful works of God. Boats and psalms, computers were made by fools like me, but only God can create an olive tree. Only God can give life to you and me. Amen. 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 When wow. <laughs> you wrote that? Yeah. And you 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 spoke to Mr. King. Yeah. And you read him. Yeah, he said uh, told him this. Dr. King said, I too now believe more than ever in the existence of God. He said, over my head I see freedom in there. There must be a God somewhere. He said, I just know that there is a God somewhere. He said, until it made me feel so close to heaven, I feel as though I could almost reach out and touch the face of God, and touch the face of God. And three days later, he was touching the face of God. Mm. I think in the movie you made mention that Dr. King seemed really solemn and almost introverted, thinking there might be something bad that might happen to him. Yeah, I think he knew it was coming. 
he actually knew it was coming. And that's why he was able to say uh, what he said days, hours before he died. And what he really said was that uh, he said, if any all around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Tell them not that I, I have three or four hundred degrees. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to church. I'd like somebody to be able to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I did try to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. I visited the sick I loved. I tried to love somebody. That's all I want you to say. I won't have the fine things of life to leave behind, but I just want to leave a committed life behind. So the night I'm not fearing any man, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He poured out something into that speech that he became weak and they had to help him back to the seat. Mm. And two days after that, he was dead. What did you think about when you heard he had passed? Well, I, when I heard that he was shot, I was just sitting there getting ready to eat supper. And... Uh, I couldn't eat anymore when I heard what happened. I don't believe I eat in three or four days after that. He couldn't believe it. The man whose eyes are so gentle and fighting for the good of mankind, that's what he is for. The good of mankind was slaughtered for for hatred, and it, it, it's hard to uh, really talk about it. I see you still have pain. Yeah, it, it, it's there. How much hatred did you have in your heart during this time? <laughs> well, I, I uh, did not too much because of what he said. You know, he said uh, well, we should all love one one another, and and. Uh, tried to do good things. Well, you did a lot of great things, um, Anzal. I mean, you were talking about level the playing field and you started, you know, this Boys and Girls Club, um, I think in the in the 50s. You were 21, 1953 or so, you started uh, yes. the Boys and Girls Club. And then you became, uh, you know, the help, the independence. Oh, yeah. Uh, of the Bahamas, didn't, didn't you? Yeah. When we was going independent, uh, it, was, it, it was something new happening. Now, uh, when you're talking about going independent, you're talking about you're on your own. You're not under England anymore. You're under England to a certain extent, being a member of the Commonwealth. But... Uh, you're on your own, and everybody figure we can't go on our own. Uh, Cuba can take you over. 
<laughs> Castro going to take you away. <laughs> yeah, you were worried about the consequences. Yeah. So uh, we couldn't get that from all the people. But when we went to Independent, and we had to set up. They kindly, they finally uh, started to accept it. When we went Independent, I arranged with some paratroopers from uh, California. A man with the name of, not Oithel, I, I'll remember a little while, uh, he used to train paratroopers for the American government down in California. But he had a home in, in Bimini, and he used to come there very often. He liked diving also, besides jumping, and had a range where he would on the on the, the day we was going independent, and we had the big celebration. Everybody arranged we arranged for him to come down by the basketball court, and three of them jumped up there with the different colors of the flag, black, turquoise, and uh, yellow. They trailed down those three colors in, in smoke. I don't know if they got another name for it, but they tra they came down trailing the colors of the flag. And they were so good with all the hundreds of people out there by the basketball court. They landed from three miles up. They landed bullseye on where we jumped the ball from. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> that, that, was, that, was, that was great. They got an applaud, you know, how that was. They brought down the flag, presented to the commissioner and our representative, the new flags. You're bringing down a, your own country flag. Now, right. the reunion jack would, would be sent back to the queen, right. you know, and you'll have your own, your own union jack. Right. And that happened there. I had a, a, a range for all that to happen. That came out good. We were one of the only what we call old islands at that time. It's family, island, it's yeah. family islands now. Mm -hmm. So we, we arranged that to, to be present there. Right. Were you ever in fear of your life? Because around the world, there was a lot of problems taking place in that, that window of time. Nelson Mandela was put in jail. Um, Dr. Luther King, Malcolm X, there was a lot of rebellion uh, in the 60s. Yeah, um, but that, you know, that, 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 that sitting, the, the, the 40 days, the big game club, that was a little frightening. Uh, I, I heard some threats around there, you know? Right. You know, I figured... They, they, they try to poison me in, in that <laughs> in that rush, but nothing ever really happened because Bimini uh, being so small, with only a family island. Right, it wasn't like Alabama or the no. states that there were problem, no. problems in Africa. It was a small. Yeah, it was a big problem on a small but, island. But, right. So we more or less wasn't too frightened to handle it, you know. Yeah. When you look back at your life and knowing that you were with Dr. Martin Luther King when he wrote, you know, uh, his speech, his famous speech, I Have a Dream. Yeah. 
and what you've done with the Boys and Girls Club, the Independence in the Bahamas. Uh, how would you like to be remembered? You just spoke about Dr. King wanted to be remembered as a man, you know, who fought for the people. Yeah. You're a great bonefish guide. You, your family, your ancestors built these great bonefish boats. Mm-hmm. But you fought against the Bimini Big Game Club, and you brought independence, and you stopped segregation in the Bahamas. How would you yeah. like to be remembered? I mean, that's a that's a big yeah. life. You know, I was also uh, the little the little fella from Bimini they used to call me in Nassau because of I used to bring on the Prime Minister, to Lyndon Pilling. When you have in the conventions in Nassau, I was so-called famous for bringing on the prime minister. Your introduction of the prime minister got to be, the introduction is sometime better than the speech. And they, it is always, who gonna bring on the prime minister this time? The little fella from Bimney gonna bring it on again? <laughs> That's what I come to hear. <laughs> I was not there, that number one in that. I, I used to make, a, in some of that introduction, I, I I seen a woman one night, yeah, laid down and, and rag her clothes off. That's the kind of frenzy they used to get in, you know. So uh, I was famous for that. And but then, what would you? How would you uh, like to be remembered? You're famous for a number of things. Yeah, that's when 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 somebody after you pass, they say. Ansel Saunders was. Finish that sentence. Uh, he was a fighter for the for the for the for the people for the community. Uh, we had we had a fight in in, in in the Bahamas, whereby we couldn't eat here, couldn't eat there. You couldn't get uh, couldn't get certain business there or here. Bay Street was one of them. I went to Bay Street one time and and uh, tried to get a place. I used to sell jewelry at one time. Jewelry was very, very good business in the Bahamas. Everybody wanted jewelry. But I had a, a big robbery. It cost me to get out of that. An inside job left the place open, left the safe open. And everybody carried my all the jewelry, and I just rack, rack it up. That was in Nassau. I was living there then. But I like for people to uh, remember me as not because they was poor, but I used to have uh, big cookouts. Uh, sometimes you know, no, no, without without pay free of charge when things is really tough around Bimini. And they they used to come and thank me today uh, for some of those days. Those mothers and and uh, children, especially around uh, holiday times, Christmas time, that put on the Christmas carols and loudspeakers all over the island. And uh, somebody who uh, wanted to keep 
bimini of breaths from being left out. You know, we, a lot of us was behind uh, what, 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 what was going on. So I'd like for them to remember that uh, I was one to try to keep them uh, abreast and what we needed to do to become first class citizens was very important in my life that uh, they was able to at, at, at least some of them was able to come and thank me. We had a just uh, or three weeks ago, let's see. We had a big uh, function in Bimini where the people came to to thank to thank me. The, the governor was down there, and the uh, the prime minister was down there three weeks ago. I would think that was the biggest one-day celebration in the history of Bimini. Celebrating you. Three weeks ago. Unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah. Just fantastic. Yeah. Well, Ansel, it is a. It's hard to express in words how honored and thrilled uh, we are to have you and two come to the BP, BTT symposium this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, you are the voice of fishermen. You are the voice of the Bahamas, and you are the freedom. voice. And you are the. I'm going to get there, and you are the voice of freedom. And it is just such an honor. And we thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. You said some nice things there. <laughs> Ozzo, great to meet you. You are super intelligent, and you haven't lost anything at your age. What a memory. Well, it's an honor to meet you and your son, Tyrone. Yeah. It's, a, it's an honor to meet you all, too. Don't forget, you, know, you all, it's got tape recorders here. Yeah. <laughs> so you, 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 you're doing a lot for me at the same time. I'm trying to do something for everybody. Your voice needs to be heard. Yep. And it is, loud and clear. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ansel. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, too. Ansel's boat is named Bonefish Legend, but the rest of us and the locals in the Bahamas know him as so much more. For the rest of time, he'll be known as a hero who leveled the playing field and crushed segregation in the Bahamas. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.